This program is intended for all those involved in the struggle to build a culture of life in the United States. Today, we have two wonderful guests who are going to speak to us about what's going on with young people across America, especially on college campuses and on high school campuses. But before we get to that, we want to open the show the way we always open our show, and that is by asking you to say a Hail Mary with me to ask the Blessed Mother to shower God's graces on all involved in today's program so that our discussion will lead us to the message that she wants each of us to get at this moment. And so if you would join me, please. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for saying that prayer with me. It is always a good idea whenever you begin a new activity during the day to call on God and the Blessed Mother to bless the activity that you're doing and to have it turn out the way that they want it to turn out. And that is why we begin every program with that Hail Mary. We have been, over the last few weeks, we've been having discussions with people from the Students for Life of America organization. Uh, our first guest today is Emily Stumpo. Uh, Emily is the Students for Life coordinator for the state of Michigan, the lower end and the upper peninsula. And Emily is, is going to join us today to talk about what it is that she does and what's going out, on out there in Mis Michigan. So, Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, Jim. I'm so happy to be here. How did you get involved in the pro-life movement? Uh, so I uh, have been involved in the pro-life movement since I was in high school. Um, and we had a Students for Life group at my high school. So I've been uh, involved in Students for Life activism for the last eight years. In college, it really became paramount for me. Uh, the Students for Life leaders uh, there were really helpful at mentoring me. I went to the University of Michigan, and I graduated this past spring. Um, and my first two years there, uh, we had a really wonderful president who um, mentored me as a pro-life activist and as a Christian person on a really secular, really hostile campus. So I really found the value of the Students for Life groups and having pro-life community on college campuses. And when the opportunity came for me to have leadership in the, in, the, in the group, I helped with the fundraising and the events coordinating. I then ran, my last year there, ran their Pregnant on Campus initiative, uh, where uh, the group at Michigan has a scholarship and baby showers and stuff for pregnant uh, women on campus. And I coordinated that. And then I was fortunate that the opening, op the opening happened to be available in Michigan. Um, they were bringing someone on full-time, and so in July I started full-time with Students for Life in my home state, uh, and I'm really passionate about uh, bringing the pro-life message to Michigan. Uh, it's a little bit about me and how I, how I got involved. It was really through Students for Life. It's also great that you're able to stay in, in your home state. Uh, speaking of your home state, as we were getting ready for this show yesterday, the chief executive officer of Planned Parenthood Advocates of Michigan, that, of course, is, the, is their political arm, she, she was quoted in the news yesterday saying that she believes that Democratic candidates in Michigan ought to really trumpet abortion, ought to really support abortion, because she thinks that the citizens of Michigan are 
ready to expand abortion in the state and will support candidates who really make their support of abortion known. Uh, being a native there and, and having gone to school there and now working there, what do you think of, of the, the CEO, uh, Lori Carpentier's statement from yesterday? Honestly, I think she's mistaken. I really do. And I think that a lot of the times the pro-choice advocates are mistaken because they live in an echo chamber. I go out on campuses and I talk to people from all walks of life. Once people understand the reality of abortion, most of them support abortion restrictions, if not complete and total banning of abortion. And so moving to a more radical position on abortion and overturning Michigan's existing laws is a really unpopular position, in my personal opinion, especially among young people. Seventy percent of millennials want to have a say in their abortion legislation, and they really hate uh, proposals that talk about abortion for all nine months. I think Planned Parenthood is really encouraged in Michigan right now because our governor in the, the late uh, end of October unveiled a, a plan called the Reproductive Health Care Act, which is a similar laws to New York, and it would remove the ban on abortion in Michigan um, that exists from 1931 so that if Roe was overturned, abortion would be legal in Michigan. She wants to overturn our ban. She wants to get rid of our waiting period, our 24-hour waiting period. She wants to get rid of our parental consent law. And she also wants to make it so that the people seeking abortion no longer have to watch fetal development material like they do now. Um, and so she wants to take away all of the sort of pro-life legislation in Michigan. So I think Planned Parenthood is encouraged by that. Um, but I think that their uh, belief that that's based on the will of, of the people in the state uh, is mistaken. Uh, many people uh, are very unhappy with our governor. She ran on a very moderate platform about uh, rebuilding the roads. Her budget has currently cut health care in rural communities, um, and I think that they're going to find that they're mistaken. I have students contacting me uh, weekly to start new groups on campuses. I've started five since I've been here since July, and I really think that they're mistaken, and I hope that they're mistaken, um, and it makes my mission feel all the more uh, important to make sure that the citizens of Michigan, especially the young people and the young voters, know uh, the reality of abortion, uh, how to stand up for life, and they know that the unborn are, are being threatened in Michigan in a bigger way than they currently are. Hopefully, she Ex Yeah, <laughs> excellent analysis. And what little I know of Michigan, I have been concerned about the governor out there, but uh, your, your analysis is very helpful to what they're doing. You mentioned that you, you opened five new Students for Life chapters, I guess is what you call them, um, on, on campuses while you were out there, uh, at least since July. You know, if students around the country, even in Michigan, of course, where you are, but even if they're in other states in the country, if, if they said, gee, we ought to have a Students for Life chapter on our campus, how would they go about doing that? Who would they contact? It's pretty easy to start a Students for Life chapter, at least on our end. Um, it's a little less easy on the school's end when you're dealing with your administration as a pro-life student. Um, but on our end, if you just email info at studentsforlife.org, so just info, all lowercase, at studentsforlife.org. That email uh, goes to our headquarters, and then when you input which state you live in and your school's campus, it gets directed to the appropriate regional coordinator. Um, there's about 20 of us. Some of us have multiple states. Some of us have one state, and we have chapters in all 50 states. We open chapters on high school, college, med, and law campuses. So you can just email that that email, info at studentsforlife.org, and then uh, your regional coordinator should get in contact with you. You'll have a phone call and talk about uh, your school's campus and, and 
what it looks like, and then we'll guide you through the process. Uh, high schools need to get an advisor, and they need approval from their principal. Colleges sometimes need an advisor, sometimes need approval. Sometimes there's ways they can start groups that don't require that. It depends on the campus. And so we as regional coordinators learn about your campus, and we guide you through that process. If you run into legal issues, we also have legal support for students that are discriminated against for starting pro-life groups or who aren't allowed to start groups on public campuses. Uh, oftentimes we find we're very successful um, helping those public institutions remember the First Amendment. That's a little bit about the process. It is very individual because schools all have different policies, uh, but regional coordinators are familiar with those, and we have a lot of help and support for students. Well, that's great. So they don't have to find out who their regional coordinator is. They just need to send an email to info at studentsforlife.org. And the Students for Life takes care of figuring out who their coordinator is and then having the coordinator contact them. Absolutely. Yep. We take care of that on our end. And so, mm -hmm. you know, anybody listening to, to this program today, uh, anywhere in the United States, if you wanted to, you know, start a, a pro-life organization on your campus, you know what to do now. You just send an email to info at studentsforlife.org. The five campus organizations that you've started since July, did you have any particular problems with them or did they all go pretty smoothly? So far, they've all been pretty smooth. There was some delay in one, um, but that's on law schools. They have a particular approval process, and so it took a while. Uh, but they were approved, and so far, it's been we've been really lucky that the students have found uh, supportive pro-life staff members at their schools to, to advise them and, and to be the advisor, and, and that makes the approval process go a little better. When there isn't anyone on staff or um, professors who are willing to sponsor an organization, it gets a little bit more difficult. Uh, but thankfully, we haven't run into any problems yet. That's great. How, how many total uh, Students for Life uh, groups do you have on campuses in Michigan, or at least in the area of Michigan that you cover? So I cover uh, all of the groups in Michigan, and to date we have 73 in our system that we work with. Not all of these groups call themselves Students for Life, so some of them are, you know, Alliance for Life, or they name themselves different things. Some of them are Students for Life at the University of Michigan or that, uh, but we work with all these different chapters. We provide support, provide resources, we provide training, and uh, there's on between high school and college campuses, there's 73 groups right now. Wow, that, that's a that's a lot to take care of. You know, uh, must keep you busy and traveling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, with technology too, we can do like trainings online and webinars. But I do travel a fair amount. Uh, the state's pretty big, so I try to get to multiple multiple groups if I'm going out to you know, the west side of the state, or if I'm going up to mid-Michigan, I, I try to hit multiple campuses if I can um, in a day so that the travel is well worth it. And we find that that works pretty well. You've been in the pro-life movement for a while. I think you said at least eight years. Uh, what What's your favorite part of the pro-life movement? Oh, gosh, that's a large question. Um, but I really, really do love how compassionate the pro-life movement is. And I know that we... We get uh, blasted in the media for being uncompassionate and not caring about women and, and not caring about people in general um, and just wanting pro-birth. But I really, the more that I meet pro-life people, the more that I talk to pro-life students, the more convinced I am that this is the most compassionate worldview that we can have, that every human life is intrinsically valuable. That means that we're going to raise $800 to pay someone's rent because her and her kids are going to get kicked out and we're going to throw a baby shower and 
you know, we're going to connect her with the church community. We're going to help her enroll in, in programs to get a government assistance. I, I believe firmly that the pro-life movement is pro-woman and pro-child. Um, and I love that that's become more of a focus, that that's become, you know, Abby Johnson's done some great work with her pro-love ministries umbrella and really emphasizing just how compassionate and how a life-affirming the pro-life movement really is. And that's my favorite thing about working in this movement and, and being with this community, is that people genuinely value the people that they're with, the people that they're talking to, even if they're pro-choice people, um, abortion-minded women, like, there's so much love and compassion for them. And that is what I really hope continues to be at the forefront uh, of our movement, um, because that's powerful and that changes hearts and minds. When you're working on, on the college campuses and you run into the opposition, how difficult is it to convince them or to show them the compassionate side of the pro-life movement? It depends on their previous experience with pro-life people, I find. A lot of the times, because Students for Life trains um, their regional coordinators and their students uh, in dialogue techniques, pro-choice people who've had bad experience with pro-lifers or who think that they've had bad experience or who've heard someone who's had a bad experience, you know, or who walked into a clinic and felt intimidated by protesters, that people have a lot of different experiences. And whether or not those pro-life people were trying, you know, were, were the way they were, they perceived them in a negative way. And so we do a lot of work to build common ground um, with pro-choice people our age and to talk about issues that we also care about. Like we care about poverty and we care about women and, and, you know, we care about families and, you know, we talk about how we work on um, paid family leave. And, and once we build common ground with the pro-choice person, it's a lot easier to talk about, you know, what is the unborn, right? Because a lot of them misunderstand that. And so I find that as long as I am being understanding and we're building common ground on, on issues that impact vulnerable women and children and they understand that I understand that they care, then they can see that I care. So as long as I'm giving them that, you know, yes, you're a respectful human being who cares about other human beings and so am I, there's a lot of sort of that de-escalates a lot of the conversations that I have and then we can move on to having a difficult conversation about what is the unborn um, and if it's human and it's intrinsically valuable like you and I, then regardless of circumstances, we have to, you know, we have to protect that life and that can be difficult. And I acknowledge that that's difficult. And even if I don't change their mind right away, a lot of the times people will walk away and say, I'm glad that people are having this conversation. Or if more people talk to me like you talk to me, like we wouldn't be so divided on this issue, right? Like we could have conversations about the hard things. And I'd say that that's about 80% of the time I can de-escalate uh, those conversations where people are really, you know, you don't care about women and you don't care about poverty and, you know, you're just a, a Republican, you know, bigot or whatever because they, they yell those things at you. But when you remember that you're talking to a person who has a, a certain set of beliefs and values and experiences and some of those experiences with your movement may have been negative or they may have thought they were negative and you you truly do believe that they're trying to seek truth, it helps you to have that genuine compassion and that, and that love for them. And then it just it shines forth in your conversation with them, and people respond to that. You know, in all the conversations that you've had that turn out well, or maybe some that don't turn out well, is, is there any particular one or two that kind of stick in your mind? And, you know, and, and when you have your time, you're reflecting, you, you reflect back on, on that particular conversation? 
Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations that I've really loved and that I've learned a lot from. I think my favorite conversation uh, that I had while I was a student at the University of Michigan, I was talking to this girl and she was part of the ROTC program on our campus. And uh, we were really going into it. And, you know, she was talking about her own concerns about, you know, being a woman in the Navy and if she were to get pregnant and how that would go and whether or not she would lose her job and how the military, you know, has welcomed women, but there's still, you know, a, a long way to go before women feel, you know, incredibly comfortable having families the way that men do because it takes them out of duty for so long. And it turns out that she knew another friend of mine who was in the, the program, and we became good friends, actually. And she participated in a, another group, a, a, a dancing group that I was in on campus. And I never, like, got her completely to say that, you know, abortion is always wrong in every circumstance. But I gained a friend out of it and we were able to go on and have conversations about a lot of different things that were difficult um, we're also uh, of different faith denominations and so we've had good conversations about that and it was just a really good thing for me to experience as, as a younger student that the things that we believe make a difference and the the way that we approach conversations is relational and is relationship building and so i've always treasured that conversation uh, because if I hadn't gone out and done dialogue that day, I would have lost out on two and a half years with a really incredible person, even though we don't happen to agree 100%. And by our continuing friendship, we can come closer into agreement and have more more conversations about contentious topics and still have healthy respect and love for each other. Uh, so I think that's one of my favorites. Could you give people some contact information in case they want to contact you and then just whatever final message that you would like to leave with my audience? Absolutely, I can do that. So the best way to contact me is by phone or email. My email is E-S-T-U-M-P-O, so that's my first initial and last name, uh, at studentsforlife.org. Uh, I have a phone number, uh, 734-646-0622. Um, and that comes to me all day, every day. And uh, just if I don't answer, just leave a voicemail, um, and I'll get back to you uh, as soon as I can. Um, sometimes we're traveling, and I don't have reception or things like that. Um, but I do try to get back to people as quickly as I can. And I would love to field any questions that your audience has. If there's anyone in your audience from Michigan who wants to start a group, I'm always available. If you can't remember my email, the info at Student for Life email will come right to me anyway. Uh, if you say you're from Michigan, so uh, those are all ways to contact me. And as a final message to your audience, to all of the Crowley people who are listening, um, I'd like to say keep your hearts up. You know, we have the truth on our side. Uh, we are compassionate. We are loving. Our movement is not the way that it's painted in the media. It's not what you hear every day. And I encourage you to go out and to have community with pro-life people in your area, to participate in a Right to Life County group, to participate in a student group, to have a pro-life event at your church, so that your community can see the love and compassion of the movement because it's there and it's true and it's real and beautiful and people respond to that. That was Emily Stumpo. She is the uh, Students for Life coordinator for the state of Michigan and the lower part of the state and the upper peninsula. And uh, she, she really gave us some insight as to what's happening in Michigan, first of all, but also what's happening uh, in, in terms of the pro-life world on campus and the approach that, that she and, and a lot of other people as Students for Life take uh, to try to get the point across and, and to show 
that the pro-life movement cares. And um, when you've been active in the pro-life movement or if you have been in your communities, you know how true that is. It is an organization that, that not only cares for the babies, but cares for the mothers, cares for everybody involved in, in the the abortion decision and the life decisions that that, that are happening there. So uh, we're very happy uh, to have Emily on the show today. We're not doing a show next week, the day after Thanksgiving. We'll have a repeat show next week. So what I want to do is, is to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, next week is the week we celebrate here in the United States. A, a you know, as you know, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is Thursday. Forget about Black Friday, and unless you're a retailer, then you worry about that. But uh, but Thanksgiving is a time for family. I, I really hope that all of you will have an opportunity to be with your families on Thanksgiving Day, and and at least for a part of the day, uh, and that uh, you will bring God into the uh, the circle that you have there and uh, that it will be a holy day for you and a God day for you and that it will allow you to maybe renew some relationships that you haven't uh, had for a while, uh, strengthen other relationships. But we all should spend the next week really getting ready for Thanksgiving and not forgetting to give thanks to our God. We we hope that uh, you'll have a very happy uh, and holy Thanksgiving week. Uh, we also uh, want to remind people that uh, prayers for the pro-life movement uh, are always welcome. Uh, in the last week, uh, as you know, some of the uh, pro-life heroes uh, lost the court case out in San Francisco and face perhaps millions of dollars in fines. It was a civil case, so we're not talking jail time, uh, but we're talking about the Center for Medical Progress and the the investigative journalist there who ran into a very biased judge who actually directed a guilty verdict to against these heroes of the pro-life movement. So please keep them in your prayers today and, and uh, always uh, as they now have to go through appeals processes. Um, this has happened before in a pro-life movement, and it happened to a, a great pro-life hero named Joe Scheidler out of Chicago. He was equally convicted in this kind of a sham trial, and it took him 20 years to get things straightened out. Let's hope that the, the current problem out in San Francisco doesn't take 20 years to resolve. Our next guest is Sarah Zarr. Sarah is the regional coordinator for Students for Life of America for Texas and a number of other southern states. And that sounds like a real lot of territory to cover, and we're going to find out about that. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. How did you get involved in the pro-life movement? So. Um, it's crazy that you were talking about the videos with Center for Medical Progress because those were one of the very first things that I saw when I was learning about abortion in high school. And my older sister actually showed me those videos, and I was really heartbroken over just the way the abortion industry was manipulating and, and lying. Right before I went to college, I went to a Christian worldview camp, and I learned about pro-life apologetics. I really was just heartbroken over the issue, and I really wanted to do something about it. 
And when I got to my college campus, there was this newsletter listing all of the clubs for the school year and contact information. And so there was a pro-life club listed. And I was like, oh, wow, this is exactly the cause that I wanted to get involved with. I emailed the email that was listed. And it turns out it was this one staff member on campus. And she wanted to help find students to start a student pro-life group. He knew about Students for Life of America, so there was a regional coordinator who helped me start the group, and all of a sudden I became founder and president of a pro-life club and was able to do work on my campus. Around the same time, I was finding out more about my personal story and how it fits into the pro-life movement, and I had always really known my story, but I just I knew that I was a preemie baby. I was actually born six weeks early. Um, through an emergency C-section, and I was so small, I was only four pounds, that pretty close didn't even fit at me. I then found out that much earlier, right when my parents found out that they were pregnant, I was actually a surprise. They had had my older brother and older sister, and then the doctors had told them that they couldn't get pregnant anymore. And so four years later, I was a complete surprise, and the doctors immediately told my parents, you should abort. And, you know, this, my mom had a lot of health problems and things that they didn't think that the pregnancy would be a good thing for her. We were living in New York at the time, and they literally couldn't find a doctor who would take their case. The doctors just kept pressuring them to abort and said that they didn't want to deliver the baby at their hospital or office. I finally they found a doctor who would take their case at a research hospital, and he made them sign a waiver saying that he advised the birth abortion, and they refused. And even as they were signing that, he was telling them, this is your legal right. You're able to do this. You're allowed to do this. And my parents said, well, this is our moral or spiritual right. And we're going to go through. We want a big family. We want this baby. And so fast forward to my mom went into what's called health syndrome, which is basically just all of your organs and everything is selling. And um, so both the baby and mom are dying. And they had to do an emergency C-section and get me out right away. And then they were able to take care of both my mom and myself, and we both survived that. So I'm in the pro-life movement for a lot of reasons, but I really think that gave me a strong, I guess, need that I want to empower women to be as strong and courageous as my mom was. Because I think when authority figures are pressuring you and telling you, like, this is the best thing to do, a lot of people would have caved in that. But my mom was just so courageous um, and selfless. I really owe everything to her, and so I want to empower women that you can be that strong, that sometimes the voices that you're listening to don't have all the information, and that, you know, there are doctors or other support out there who could help you. You're, you're very happy with the mom that God picked for you, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that is absolutely terrific. So you got on college campus, you, you said, oh, good, I'm going to join a pro-life group, and then you found out you were the pro-life group? Um, and, uh, <laughs> and and today you're you're a regional coordinator. So you obviously were successful with the, with the pro life group and getting it organized. What what do you think made you successful? What what were the keys to getting other students involved on on this campus where there had not existed a pro life group before? Yeah, it was really my group was really small at first, and I was so nervous to even tell my friends and people that I already knew at campus that I was starting a pro-life group at first. And then finally, I just started telling some of my friends and 
the very first person I told, he ended up becoming my vice president and helping me with the group. And then we found a couple others. And so my group was really small for a while. There was only four of us. And we just kept doing things, kept having events like So Ice Movie Night. We would have students, So Ice, the regional coordinator, who even still works for us. He would come down and table with us. And we really had to just persevere of, okay, we might be small in number, but we can still make a difference. And just through individual advocacy that we were able to do, we really were able to do a lot. So I was also involved in student government. And my senior year, I got elected student body president. And through that, I was able to talk to our Title IX coordinator and equal opportunity coordinator to actually get lactation rooms on campus because we didn't have them. And legally, in a workplace, you're supposed to have them. And so I was able to advocate for that and advocate for Title IX rights of present student athletes, as well as during the time that I was starting up the group, my best friend, she called me late one night and we had had some conversations about my group and about what I was doing and that, you know, I wanted to help students be, you know, who found themselves in their uncertainty. And so she knew about that and she called me late one night and she said, Sarah, I'm pregnant and I don't know what to do and I don't know who the father is and I know that my mom's going to kick me out if she finds out and she's going to want me to have an abortion. I just stayed on the phone with her until really late. It's just so providential that like during this time I was starting my group and I had my regional coordinator of students for life who I texted her right away while I was on the phone and, you know, asking her, what do I say? How can I help her? But really, I just, by being my, um, her name's Jessica, her friend, I was able to talk to her really late into the night. And then we met up for coffee the next day and just kind of talked through what she was feeling. And I asked her if I could make an appointment for her to go to a local pregnancy resource center that I knew about. And just told her that, you know, they do a free pregnancy test and they'd have counselors and that it was a really great place that I knew them. And so she agreed and I made the appointment for her and I asked her if I could take her or if she wanted me to and she did. So I went with her and when they did the ultrasound, we were able to hear the baby's heartbeat and we both started crying and she said, okay, I have to do this. Like, this is my baby abortion as an option for me. And through that, like, we weren't out of the woods yet because there were a lot of family pressures. She did get kicked out of her house for a little bit because they wanted her to have an abortion. And then she was actually selling out of school during that time. And so we really had a lot um, to sit down and, and to get through. But because of this baby, it actually motivated her to want to get back into school and figure those things out. So I learned a lot about all of the aid there is out there for single moms, such as things like WIT, Women in Crisis, who help with financial aid and and diapers and all those things, and then pregnancy resource centers that, you know, really she didn't know how to be a parent, so she was able, or how she was going to give birth, so she was able to take classes there and have a support system. And then I found out all the aid there was on campus for financial aid, and just the rights that she had of being able to miss class, you know, for her various doctor's appointments, started to be able to take it incomplete when the baby came. 
And so just he's really able to see what it looks like to be a student parent. And then she actually worked with me in student government, and she would bring her baby to office because I made it a policy that you could bring your baby to the office. And this past May, I actually got to go out and see her graduate from nursing school. She ended up, after going from selling out of school to completing one of the hardest majors, her baby, uh, my now goddaughter, Aubrey, she actually was a part of her graduation ceremony from the nursing program. She went up on stage and, and put the nursing pinning on Jessica, and it was just such a beautiful moment. Of, this is what it looks like to be empowered, to never have to choose between your education and your baby, and, and it's what it looks like to be the pro-life support that people need, too. All the things that that uh, you know that entailed from a, a young lady who who found out she was pregnant and knew that her only option was abortion, and then you know through the grace of God you were there for her and uh, you you were able to to bring her through and, and all the resources that were available. You know, I think a lot of of young ladies uh, in colleges, especially, just are not aware of the resources that are available to them and get a lot of, of peer counseling that says abort the baby, abort the baby. This is fantastic. Is this the kind of thing that, that you now teach who lead these Students for Life groups on college campuses yes. in Texas? Yes, it is. So I think it's just so beautiful because now I saw just that difference of being able to persevere and like even when we felt small, that it was just little actions and just really being a friend and being a presence on campus that made such a change. And now I get to travel around. I'm the regional coordinator for Students for Life for Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. I travel around all those states and I start new Students for Life groups and then also support the 128 groups within those states that we have and get them resources. I do trainings on what is the pro-life position and how do you help students with unplanned pregnancies. And we have our Pregnant on Campus initiative that students are a part of that do exactly, you know, what I was able to do for Jessica. And they do things like raising scholarship money and having babysitting services on campus. They go out and educate their campus through our educational displays and really just change the culture through the conversations. And I say that I'm a product of Students for Life of America because they invested in me. And, and I just remember my regional coordinators, there's two of them that really invested in my life and, and taught me a lot about leadership and about God. Now I get to turn around and do that for other students, and that's probably my favorite part is just developing new pro-life leaders that are going to be really strong. It occurred to me as you were listing the states, uh, and I can't imagine one person covering all those states. I mean, Texas would be uh, almost impossible, but you have all these other states that the states you listed are, are really the, the primary listening area for Radio Maria. We, we do have uh, stations elsewhere in the country, but the, the states that you listed where we certainly have a lot of people in those areas listening live here to uh, Radio Maria. If you could give them some contact information so that they can get a hold of you. So, again, my name is Sarah Zar, and they can email me at szar, so that's S-Z as in zebra, A-R-R, 
and then it's at studentsforlife.org. So SZAR at studentsforlife.org. And especially like if there's any students listening, whether middle school, high school, college, med and law school, and you're inspired to start a Students for Life group, I can just tell you it'll be so worth it and there will just be so many blessings um, and you'll learn so much from doing that. But you, even young adults who want to get involved or, or anyone who sees the value of what Students for Life is doing and wants to support us, it would be great if you contact me. Do you also have Students for Life groups on high school campuses in, in your area? Yes, and in middle school as well. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know you went down to middle school. Yeah, that's really when I even just did a middle school speaking tour, and all of these students, you know, they already hear about abortion from the media and from social media that they're already on. And this is the age where actually the abortion industry, such as Planned Parenthood, is already going into schools and teaching sex ed and kind of swaying them to get them to trust in and go into those and getting them comfortable with the idea of abortion. When I was speaking to the middle school students, I called my talk Life Matters, and I said, one of the things that I want you to know is that your whole life matters a whole lot and you're really valuable. And so if you can understand that, then you can you know, spread that and, and understand why all students are valuable. So kind of coming at it from a place, too, of, of them understanding their identity as well. You you were supposed to be aborted, right? Uh, everybody told your mother to abort you, and, and, and she said no. And now you're out saving lives on a regular basis. Just I, I just congratulate you on, on um, following God's plan for your life because obviously it was, it was his plan. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that, and I, I really do feel called to this work and, and, and called that I'm supposed to really spread that life does matter and stop abortion. And, and I really think what's beautiful about Students for Life of America is they're not only, we're not only saving lives and, and you know, saving those preborn children and saving those women from going through that, but we're changing lives as well. Fantastic. So let me ask you to just give whatever last message, whatever last thought you might have for my audience before we have to say goodbye to you. Be involved and active in the pro-life movement and, and don't be afraid to speak the truth in love no matter where you are, whether it's in your church, in your family, with your friends, or if you do, you know, go out and talk about it in your school because you never know who you're going to reach and, and who needed to hear that message. And so it starts, I think, with each individual being pro-life and, and unapologetically pro-life of being able to talk about it. And that's what's going to change our culture if we have those conversations. Sarah, I really want to thank you for coming on. You've been an inspiration to me. I wish you continued success in, in your work with Students for Life. Let me know when they name you president because I'll, I'll come and, and shake your hand. Uh, thank that, you. <laughs> that was Sarah Zarr. Uh, the regional coordinator for Students for Life America for Texas and a whole bunch of other southern states. If you've been with me throughout the whole show, by the way, my name is Jim Sedlak, and you're listening to Pro-Life Activism from Creation to Death on Radio Maria.us, a Christian voice in your home. You know, there, there is so much hope for the pro-life movement, 
And we talk about uh, uh, Sarah's mother and all she went through to, to be able to have Sarah. But let's not forget that there was her father, too. It's pro-life men and women. That's what we need. And, and that's the whole purpose of this show is to kind of bring you information on how to be pro-life, how to act pro-life, to, to never, ever give up on life, whatever the circumstances, whatever the conditions, to understand that God created every one of these little human beings. Nobody else created them. God created them. He used human beings in the process to have them created. Everyone is unique. Everyone is different, but that's the good thing. We don't have clones in this world. We, we have unique human beings created by God. They are human beings from the very moment of their creation, and we just need to understand that. And we need to have organizations like Students for Life of America and others to have organizations like Students for Life of America who get out there and not only on college campuses, but on high school campuses. And as Sarah said, even middle school campuses, it, it is just a great thing because we have to grow up generations that are pro-life. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned on the show before the Culture of Life Studies program that allows parents uh, who are homeschooling or even parents with, with children in the schools to instruct their children on the value of every human life. All of this works together to create a culture that is pro-life, and that's what we need. We need a pro-life culture. And through the, the people that we've been talking to over the last couple of months on the show, I am convinced that we are getting that. Um, and I am convinced there's, there's a lot of different pro-life groups out there who are all contributing to this pro-life culture. Uh, obviously, American Life League does a lot of that. So I just recommend it all to you. I, as you're making up your list of who to be thankful for next Thursday, when you, when you formally celebrate Thanksgiving, please include American Life League. Please include Students for Life of America, the Culture of Life Studies programs, and all of the pro-life organizations that you're aware of. They, it is building a culture of life, and we thank God, of course, for leading this movement and for allowing us to do this. Uh, with that, uh, as, as the final say, let us close the program in a way we always close our program, and that is by asking our Blessed Mother, Mother of God, spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.